My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. Left you with a cliffhanger last week. Uh, well, last episode, probably wasn't last week, a few days ago. But I told you the Great Commission, as we find it um, at the end of the Gospels and at the beginning of the Book of Acts, is actually a, a kind of a second giving of the Great Commission. And we see that that same phenomenon in the second offering of the kingdom by the, um, by the disciples. And so during the ministry of Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry, you see him offering the kingdom, the promised kingdom, uh, the covenanted kingdom of, of, you know, what's promised back in the Old Testament up through the prophets to Israel. He offers them the kingdom, but he's the king. And so when they reject the king, they reject the, reject the kingdom. And when Christ on the cross, you know, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, it, it appears from what we see in Scripture that, that the Father honored that prayer, that request, and gave Israel one more chance. And that was the ministry of the, the twelve apostles, to the nation of Israel in the first book of, or the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And what they do is they, they go and, and basically offer the kingdom to Israel just like Jesus did. So you see much the same type of preaching going on in the first uh, several chapters of the book of Acts that you see back in uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and so it's a second offering of the kingdom. It's a kind of a parallel ministry. And so it's not surprising that we would see uh, repeated the commission, the kind of mission, because Jesus said in his giving of the Great Commission in John, you remember remember uh, John chapter, was it 20, um, verse 21? And he says, uh, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So we shouldn't surprise us that we see that kind of parallel, because he sends his disciples with basically the same mission as he had. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about this Great Commission and how it's found in Matthew 24. And I want to pull out all the specifics of it, and then we're going to, we're going to make an application of that to the Great Commission that was given at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts. And we're going to see why, again, the Great Commission as it's given— at, in the Gospels, at the end of the Gospels, uh, beginning of the book of Acts, is it cannot be applied to the church. Okay, it just can't. And as a matter of introduction, we're talking about anachronisms, okay? Errors that, that occur when people or events are misplaced in chronological history, okay? It's an anachronism. And uh, applying the, the Great Commission to us today, or saying the Great Commission was given to the church, is just a complete anachronism. And if anybody can't see that by just reading the Bible, I think it's probably either because they're dishonest, or they haven't been taught, and what they've been taught is wrong. And so one of the big hurdles we get over is we got to get through this, This I got to unlearn what, what I was taught wrong. And the, the, the Great Commission is for us in principle. We see the same principles in the ministry of Paul, but uh, the Great Commission, in and of itself, as it is written, cannot be applied to the church, and that's what we're looking at. So, um, gosh, what do we see? You know, if we go back and we do a, a quick review, I don't think we really need to. 
Um, anachronism's got that. We're going to look back through some doctrinal specifics, you know, in Matthew 28. Go, go ye therefore and teach all nations. So we've got two imperatives, go and teach, uh, two commands there. And then we've got two gerunds that follow, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things whichever, uh, whatsoever I've commanded you. Uh, kind of made a big deal in our last episode about that. Very important to remember that the content that Jesus commands his disciples to teach in the Great Commission, the content looks back to the Gospels. It looks back to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And therefore, because of, uh, because of what the Bible says, it looks back to the Old Testament. It looks back to being under the law. Jesus was born under the law, Galatians 4.4. Jesus lived under the law, Matthew 5.17. And Jesus died under the law, Hebrews 9.15-17. And so when he says, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you, well, that's specifically, he's talking to his 11. And where do we find all the things Jesus commanded and taught to his 11 disciples? Well, you find it looking back into the Gospels, not looking forward to Paul. And so that's what got us to this key phrase, and I kind of made the um, made the statement that a lot of things come together in the Bible when you pay attention to the individual words of Scripture and how they fit together. And so we looked at this great commission given in Matthew, where it says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that phrase even unto the end of the world, gives a time frame for this Great Commission. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be carried out until the end of the world. Okay, so that's the promise of Christ. I'm gonna, I want you guys to do this. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to go teach, and this is what you want, baptizing and, and teaching them uh, what, I, what I taught you, and I'm going to be with you until the end of the world. So he expects them to, to do this until the end of the world. Well, the end of the world is a very specific event. The end of the world is defined in Scripture. might not be what you think, but it's, it's an event, you know? Um, and I mentioned Chicken Little. I still got the Chicken Little song, you know, in my head, the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Um, but it's an event, okay? Now, we also mentioned that the Greek phrase translated the end of the world is soon to lay us to Ionas. And I'm not going to go through all the, the Greek stuff again, but we see the same phrase back in Matthew chapter 24. When the disciples ask a question about future events, they ask an eschatological question, some events, these, these things to come, if you want to think about it that way. They said, tell us when shall these things be, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So that's Matthew 24, 3. Matthew 24, 3 sets the context for the rest of this chapter. So this Olivet Discourse, Jesus' eschatological discourse about things to come, this it's all based on answering their question. When is your coming and when is the end of the world? So just like the coming of Jesus Christ is a very specific event in history, future history, so is the end of the world. And I made the, I made the point that this same phrase, the end of the world, is the same phrase, the end of the world, we see over in Matthew 28. Okay? It's also the same, same phrase in Greek, soon to lay us to Ionas. 
So so here's here's where we're going to go. Remember Matthew, he is very specific when he said that the great commission would be fulfilled and Jesus would be with them even to the end of the world. He uses that very same phrase in Matthew 24. Okay? So Matthew 24 is the key comparison chapter in order to properly understand the Great Commission in its doctrinal context. Now, I I don't know if I just lost you with that. Okay? Matthew, if you just... Let's not even get into the inspiration aspect of, of Scripture yet. Matthew sits down to write his book. And as he's writing this book, he's got a very specific goal in mind. He's presenting Jesus Christ to the Jews as the fulfillment of prophecy. Christ is the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies. So he's basically writing as a gospel track to the Jewish nations to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And when he does this, he picks out his words. Just like you pick out your words if you're writing an essay, you know, for a, for a college class or a high school class, or you're writing something up, you pick your words very specifically, especially when it comes to key contexts and key passages. Matthew 24 is a key passage. Matthew 28 in the Great Commission is certainly a key passage. And he used the same phrase, a very important phrase that points to a very important event in Israel's history, the end of the world. And Matthew used the same phrase in Matthew 28 and Matthew 24, soon to lay us to Ionas. He did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. He knowingly did that. So you know that when Matthew wrote, soon to lay us to Ionas in Matthew 28, He had Matthew 24 in mind. And you know that when he wrote soon to lay us to Ionas in Matthew 24, he knew he was going to write that again in Matthew 28. Do you see where I'm going with that? That's why I say Matthew 24 is the key comparison chapter in order to understand the Great Commission in its doctrinal context. Matthew had used the same phrase. He had the same his story. He had the same event in mind. He had the same context in mind. This end of the world, he was thinking about it in Matthew 24. He was thinking about it in Matthew 28. And then we can take it a step further and say, God chose every word of Scripture. Do you think God did not choose a very specific phrase to tell us something he used the same phrase, the same three words, soon to lay us to Ionas, both in Matthew 24 and Matthew 28. And then he translated it with the very same English words into the world in Matthew 24 and Matthew 28. Okay, so I beat that drum enough. Let's, let's look at a little bit what's going on in this passage. You see the word soon to lay us, end. Okay, when we say end of the world, end is suntaleas, okay? Suntaleas. That word is repeated in Matthew 24, 14. Okay, so again, we find the connection with the words. That word is end. Same word in English that we see in Matthew 24, 3, that we see in Matthew 28, 18, or 20, and we see it also in Matthew 24, 14. So the same word in Greek, same word in English. 
read with me, or if you're driving, don't read, just think, just, just listen. Um, Matthew 24, 14. Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end come. Oh, I'm sorry, and then shall the end come. So that word, the end, is suntaleas. Like I said, same word in Greek, same word in English. The end will come after the gospel of the kingdom has been preached in all the world, in all nations. That's the Great Commission of Matthew 28. It's the same thing, okay? It is the same thing. All of the elements are present. What you see in Matthew 24, 14 is the very same thing you see in the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels and at the beginning of the book of Acts. Now think about it. Matthew 24, 14. Let me see if I can compare some scripture with scripture here for you, okay? I'm going to go to Mark. Matthew 24, 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. So what does this passage say? The gospel is to be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. That's exactly what we see in the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. It's the same thing. He even, I mean, he even uses the same word, soon to lay us to Ionas, and then later soon to lay us. It's the same thing. Okay, Matthew 1, I'm sorry, Acts 1 8. Again, now think about this. Think about this. Matthew 24 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. In all the world. Acts 1.8. What does Acts 1.8 say about the scope of the preaching of the gospel? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It's the same thing. Matthew 24.14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a what? For a witness unto all nations. Again, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Okay, it's, it's the same thing. Again, I got another one. Um, Luke 24. Luke 24. <clears throat> Luke 24, 46 to 48. Okay. Um, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Luke 24, 46, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And then, of course, um, Matthew 28, um, 18 to, to 20, uh, we have that same phrase at the end, soon to lay us, to Ionas, even unto the end of the world. And in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness 
unto all nations, and then shall the end come. That end is the same end of the world that we see in Matthew 28, 20, and the same end of the world that we see that, that started this Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 3. And so Matthew 24, especially verse 14, but Matthew 24, this chapter, is the key to understanding the Great Commission. Because both the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and Matthew 24, Olivet Discourse, have their focus on the end, the end of the world. Look, they use the same phrase in English, same phrase in Greek, the end of the world, soon to lay us to Ionas. Both the Great Commission of Matthew 28 and the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, they both deal with the preaching of the gospel. Both the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and then the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, deal with the preaching of the gospel to all nations. Look, Matthew 28, 18 and 20 is almost identical to Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 24, 14 contains all of the elements, set baptism, that we see in the other Great Commission passages at the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of the book of Acts. So Matthew 24 becomes the key. When the, when the disciples ask, hey, what's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in all the world for a witness, and then that end shall come. Okay? So the Great Commission is the command that Jesus gave to his Jewish, Jewish apostles to preach the gospel of the kingdom in all nations until the second coming and the establishment of his kingdom on earth. It's the kingdom they're preaching. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, so that means the doctrinal context of the Great Commission is the same doctrinal context we see in Matthew 24. By comparing Scripture with Scripture, Matthew 28 with Matthew 24, the writings of the same author, the same book, under the same inspiration, it's, 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 it's the same. The Great Commission in the Gospels and Acts, Acts 1-8, is historically, doctrinally, and specifically— here it comes. Here comes the bomb. Are you ready? I'm going to say it, all right? The Great Commission in the Gospels, at the end of the Gospels, and the beginning of the book of Acts, is specifically for the tribulation. It is specifically for the period of time just before the end when Jesus returns and sets up his Davidic messianic kingdom. Okay? Um, you say, that's crazy. Okay? Uh, go back to Dan Daniel chapter 9. I'm not going to do another whole spiel on Daniel chapter 9, but if you don't get Daniel chapter 9 down, if you don't understand Daniel chapter 9, there's no way you're going to understand um, eschatology and things to come. Daniel chapter 9 sets the foundation for the remainder of God's kingdom program for Israel until the setting up of the Messianic kingdom, what we call the millennium. It starts in Daniel 9.24, and it finishes at the end of the chapter in, in 9.27. And so what we see is 70 weeks are pronounced upon the nation of Israel. 
okay, 70 weeks of years. So there's 70 groups of years, 70 blocks of years. You're talking about 490 years from the beginning of whenever this prophecy starts until the end, okay? The end, the suntaleos, okay, when the kingdom is established. Uh, 70 weeks of years, 490 years. And he says in, in, in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression. So God says, look, we're going to finish this up, the transgression. What's, what's, what is all the transgression under the law? De- Deuteronomy 28, 15 to the end of Deuteronomy 28. All of that, we're going to finish it up, okay? 490 years, 70 weeks of years, finish the transgression to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So the anointing of the most holy is the anointing of Jesus Christ as king. He takes over David's throne. It's the setting up of his kingdom. That's why he says it's for the uh, bringing everlasting righteousness, 70 weeks a years. So we could get lost in all of the, the, the deep weeds of Daniel chapter 9, but the point is that I'm going to read the next two verses. All we need to pay attention to for what we're looking at here is that when Messiah is cut off, when Messiah is killed, when Jesus was crucified, there's only one week left, okay? It says in verse 25, Know ye therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, uh, beginning of Ezra, unto Messiah, the Gospels, first coming of Christ, Messiah the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So seven plus three score and two is 69. You got one left over after Messiah. The street shall be built again, the wall, and in trouble, even in troubled times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So Messiah was cut off. He was killed, but not for himself. He died for us, substitutionary sacrifice. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. That happened in AD 70. And the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the 70th week. There were 69 weeks before Jesus Christ comes at the end of the 69th week. He's crucified. He's cut off, not, but not for himself. He's cut off for us. He dies, substitutionary sacrifice. we got one week left. That's Daniel's 70th week. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Daniel's 70th week, we call that the tribulation period the time of Jacob's trouble. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So we have a first three and a half years of peace and safety and the last uh, three and a half years of persecution, uh, sudden destruction. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Okay, that's the des- the, the abomination of desolations. The abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Okay, now, what I want to draw your attention to is, in verse 27, we're talking about Daniel's 70th week. We're talking about the time after the crucifixion of the Messiah. After the crucifixion of Messiah, when he's cut off but not for himself, there is one week of this prophecy left. Seven years. That's it. And then comes the consummation. There's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. I know you've heard of it because a lot of people like to use the Greek translation of the Old Testament to correct the Hebrew Old Testament. And again, I would say the problem is not with the Hebrew or the Greek. The problem is with the people trying to correct one with the other. Okay? There is a translation of the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. 
there's quite a bit of debate on when that actually happened. I think it was probably what we call the Septuagint today is probably Origen's work in his Hexapla, okay? But regardless, we have a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Do you know what Greek word is used to translate the consummation in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Suntaleos, the same word that is translated the end, the end of the world. You remember that in our Great Commission, the end of the world in the second coming of Christ in Matthew 24? Well, the end of the world is suntaleos. Of the world is to Ionas. Well, the consummation here is soon to lay us. And so after the crucifixion of, of Messiah, we have seven years left. And then comes the end, the soon to lay us, the consummation, when the most holy is anointed and he takes the throne of David and sets up his messianic kingdom. So listen, the Great Commission was given as a command to preach the, to preach the kingdom. Not the church. Okay, now, when did God reveal the church? Wait, we don't even have, when did God start the church? When, when God gave this, this great commission at the end of the Gospels, beginning of the book of Acts, the church didn't even exist. Nobody was born again. And even after that, nobody knew anything. No one knew anything about the, the church, the body of Christ. Look, to say that the Great Commission at the, at, the, at the end of the book of, at the end of the Gospels, beginning of the book of Acts, to say that the Great Commission is historically and doctrinally for the church, the body of Christ, is to commit an egregious and anachronistic error because no one at the time of the giving of the Great Commission except for Jesus Christ, God in the flesh himself, knew anything about the church. God did not reveal the church until Paul. The apostles knew nothing about the church. The apostles with the Great Commission and preaching the Great Commission, preaching the gospel they were given in the Great Commission, they weren't expecting 2,000 years of church history. They weren't going out and planting churches. They were preaching the kingdom come in seven years. They knew this prophecy. They knew it was seven years. Man, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what they're preaching. So to, so to grab the church and shove the church back into the Great Commission is an anachronistic error. It's ridiculous in light of what the Bible says. And in addition, look, in addition, the gospel the apostles were commanded to preach in the Great Commission is not the gospel Paul preached. It's not. It's not the gospel we preach today. Look, the gospel they preached was the gospel of the kingdom. Read, I'm going to read just a couple of verses again out of Galatians 1. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. Seriously. Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which, which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you cannot tell me that Paul got the gospel he was preaching from the apostles. You can't tell me he's preaching the same gospel, because he's not. 
He even sees, says later on that, um, I confer not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. I went into Arabia. The apostles are not preaching the gospel Paul preached. The gospel Paul preached was not given until Acts chapter 9. The apostles, the eleven, were preaching the same gospel of the kingdom that John the Baptist preached in Matthew chapter 3. Read the chapter. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what do you think Peter's preaching? I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. Um, Acts chapter 3, 19 to 20. Key chapter in the, in the first part of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. Remember John the Baptist, what did he say? John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus Christ shows up in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 4. And what does he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter, preaching the gospel of the Great Commission, the gospel unto the end of the world. What is he preaching? Repent. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ. He's preaching the second coming and the setting up of the kingdom. He's preaching the same gospel John the Baptist preached in the gospels. He's preaching the same thing Jesus Christ preached during his earthly ministry. That's not a surprise to us because we see that the great commission at the end of the book of Matthew is the same commission given in Matthew 24, 14. It's the commission of the gospel of the kingdom. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10 because Matthew chapter 28 is not the first time Jesus Christ sent his disciples out to go and preach the gospel. In Matthew 10, he did the same thing. Matthew 10, verse 5. This is the same gospel. The same gospel they're preaching at the beginning of the book of Acts is the same gospel that the apostles preached during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew 10, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the Israelites. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, gee, gee, what kingdom is that? What kingdom is that? The kingdom of heaven. That, that's the heaven of that's the, the kingdom of Matthew 6:10. Matthew 6:10 defines this kingdom. Matthew 6:10 that says, Thy kingdom come. Okay, this is the same kingdom that they're preaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thy kingdom come. It's the same kingdom. What is that kingdom? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's the will of God being done on earth physically, locally, geographically, politically, on earth as it is in heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven. It is the reign, it's the theocratic reign of God on earth through Israel. That is the, that's the Davidic kingdom because God gave that kingdom to David and the son of David, Jesus Christ, is the son of David. He's the fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. He gets David's throne in the second coming. And he rules and reigns over the kingdoms of this earth throughout the millennium and off into eternity. Thy kingdom come. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it goes on and says, now look, here's a little extra. Because when he sends the, the, the apostles out in Matthew chapter 10 to go preach the gospel of the kingdom, he says in verse 8, so right after he says, go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, 
freely you have received, freely give. The preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, the preaching of this gospel in Matthew 10, the preaching of the gospel by John the Baptist and Jesus during their earthly ministries, is the same gospel we see in the Great Commission. That's why in Mark chapter 16, you see signs and wonders tied in with the preaching of the gospel. Signs and wonders given in the Great Commission. We see signs, wonders, and miracles in the Great Commission because the Great Commission is a commission to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He said, go ye, this is Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He doesn't define it in this passage, but we know it's the gospel of the kingdom because Paul's gospel hasn't been revealed yet. It's given to Paul in Acts chapter 9. This is the second offer of the kingdom by by the apostles to the Jews. Verse 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs uh, shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink, drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So that's why we see the same signs and wonders in the Great Commission that we see during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, when they're out preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're preaching the same gospel. The gospel of the Great Commission is not Paul's gospel. Paul is still a lost Jew. He's going to be persecuting the church uh, at the end of the gospels, beginning of the book of Acts. Paul doesn't get saved until Acts chapter 9. He doesn't get his gospel revealed until Acts chapter 9. So nobody knows about Paul's gospel until Acts chapter 9. How could the apostles preach it? No, the gospel that they're preaching is the gospel of the kingdom. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33, very key chapter, a very key passage with regard to the first coming of Jesus Christ, gives us a good purpose statement of the coming of Jesus Christ. And remember Daniel chapter 9. After the cutting off of Messiah, after the crucifixion, the substitutionary death of Messiah, we've only got seven years left. So at the beginning of his ministry, I mean, we're real close. Okay, so this is what it says in Luke 131 to 33. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, this is the announcement to uh, Mary, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Jesus is going to be the king of the kingdom that's preached in the gospel of the kingdom because he's the fulfillment of the promise God gave to David in 2 Samuel 7. He is the son of David. And so Israel in the kingdom will be the head of all other nations. I'm going to go back to Daniel 7.27. Daniel 7.27. In the kingdom, Israel is the head of the nations. And in the kingdom, the nations, the Gentiles, in order to be saved, must go and get to God through Israel. Okay, I don't, I haven't really got a a, a better way to describe that uh, yet, 
except that for a Gentile to be saved in the kingdom, okay, he must get to God through Israel. Now let me um, let me explain that with some references here. Daniel seven twenty seven. Daniel seven twenty seven and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven. This is this is it. The whole shebang, the entire universe, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, that's Israel, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So the kingdom, the rule of the kingdom in creation, obviously goes to the Son of David, Jesus Christ. He reigns and rules through Israel over all the other dominions which serve and obey him. And so the chain of command is Jesus, Israel, Gentiles. And the Gentiles get to God, if you want to think about it that way, like I said, I haven't got a better phrase for it. They get to God through Israel. This is what we see in Isaiah chapter 2 in the first few verses. Isaiah chapter 2 says, verse 1, the word of uh, that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, that's going to be Israel, shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. So if somebody wants to learn of the ways of God, they have to go up to Jacob, Israel. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law. So the law comes out of Zion. That's where the lawgiver is seated upon the throne. It goes through Israel and out to the Gentiles and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so if a Gentile wants to get saved in the kingdom, they want to get to God and walk in his ways, they have to go through Israel. One more passage, Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, verses 16 to 19. This is a passage about what's happening after the second coming of Christ. So we get a glimpse into the Messianic kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, what we call the millennium. And it says in Zechariah 14, 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came uh, against Jerusalem, so the nations in the tribulation, they go up against Jerusalem. Uh, you probably know the history, and then God comes back in the second coming and pretty much wipes them out. But there's going to be some left. It says, And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So here this the Gentiles going up to Jerusalem to worship the King, Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, during the Feast of Tabernacles. And then it says, And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So there's going to be discipline for those who don't want to submit to Jesus Christ through the nation of Israel. 
um, celebrating with them the Feast of Tabernacles. And it says in 18, If the family of Egypt go not up and come not up, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, according to the gospel of the kingdom, here's what we have. All dominion over all nations under the whole heaven is given to God's chosen people, Israel. Gentiles in the kingdom who want to know God and follow God, they have to come and draw nigh to the Lord through Israel. And so, according to the gospel of the kingdom, this good news of salvation in the kingdom, the salvation of the nations will be through Israel. To those and, and those who, who refuse that, who refuse to go through Israel to God, to go up to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, they receive punishment. And so when we see the Great Commission being given at the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of the book of Acts, we know from what Galatians 1 and Ephesians 3 say that the church is not revealed at that time. The church age is not revealed at that time. The body of Christ is not revealed at that time. It didn't get revealed until Paul, Acts chapter 9. The gospel of the grace of God was not revealed until Paul. So the disciples are preaching a different gospel. They're preaching the gospel of a coming kingdom. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, what we saw in Peter's message. That's why they asked that question in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Okay, they asked that question, uh, are you going to restore the nation, the, the, the kingdom of Israel at this time? Okay, but if, if somebody's kind of holding on out there, saying, oh, that can't be, that can't be, that can't be. Let me just throw this past you. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, um, obviously one of the, the easiest, best passages to describe the gospel that Paul preached, right? Death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, moreover, brethren, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Okay, Paul, he's going to declare his gospel. This is it. This is what Paul got by direct revelation in Acts chapter 9. This is the the... the the gospel he preached, this is the gospel we preach. He says, which ye also have received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. So here is the gospel of our salvation. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. He received it through Revelation, Galatians 1, 11, and 12. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So our gospel, Paul's gospel, has three elements. It is the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Are, are we clear? I mean, that's, that's what the Bible says. I really don't think there's any type, of, uh, any type of discussion on this one. He clearly defines the gospel that he preached, that he received, and he says it's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So go back to Luke 18. Luke 18. Now remember, in Luke, we're looking at the Gospels during the, the ministry of Christ. What they're preaching is the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, well, if the apostles also preached the same gospel Paul preached, well, then we should be able to see it, right? Well, look at Luke 18.31. Luke 18.31 says, 
Then he, Jesus, took unto him the twelve, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted upon, and they shall scourge him, watch it, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Well, there's the gospel. There's Paul's gospel. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day. That's it. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Wow, it's right there. But verse 34 says, And they, the twelve, understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. They didn't have a clue. Jesus Christ told them word for word what Paul's gospel was. Death, burial, resurrection on the third day. And the apostles who were sent to preach the gospel, they understood none of these things. So if the the apostles were preaching the same gospel as Paul was preaching, they were preaching a gospel they knew nothing about. So do you see the anachronistic problems that you cause when you try to read back into the Gospels in the first part of the book of Acts what we know to be true later in the church age? It's a mess, okay? It's a mess. It's an anachronistic error, and we should not do that. So where are we? The Gospel of the Kingdom, okay? The Gospel of the Kingdom is the gospel of the 12 disciples, and it's the gospel of the the Great Commission. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. I'll just mention this really quick since I mentioned it before. Acts 1, 6, you know, um, getting a running start up to the Great Commission in in verse 8, says, When they, the eleven, therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so here we have our disciples. They're talking with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Um, We know that the church has not been revealed, not until Paul, uh, the body of Christ, the church age. they, They have no clue, nothing. They know nothing about that. What do they know? They know Daniel chapter 9 for one thing, and they know that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that after the Messiah was cut off, but not for himself, after the Messiah's substitutionary death. They know there's only one week left. They know there's only seven years left until the consummation, soon to lay us, until the end of the world, soon to lay us, okay? Until, until they, they, they're done. Jesus Christ is setting up his kingdom. They know that. So they ask him, Lord, are you going to do it? Are you going to restore your kingdom at this time? And Jesus Christ does not correct them. Verse 7, he does not tell them, no, the kingdom is not going to be restored. He says nothing about the church and the church age. What he puts in question is the timing of that restoration. Timing. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so he tells them to just go preach, go fulfill the Great Commission. And they do just that, like we read in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. 
It's, it's that message of Peter. He's preaching the restoration of all things. He's preaching the kingdom. He's preaching repentance to Israel. He's preaching the second coming of Jesus Christ based on the repentance of Israel. They go forth preaching. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. Just like before the crucifixion, just like Jesus did during his earthly ministry, just like John the Baptist did to prepare the way for the coming of the king. Folks, they are preaching the second coming of Jesus Christ, the establishment of the kingdom that we call the millennium, because they believed, based on Scripture, that the kingdom was coming in seven years. Daniel's 70th week. They're not preaching the church. They're not preaching the body of Christ. No one knew anything about the church and the church age until Paul, Acts chapter 9. Come on! They are fulfilling the Great Commission by preaching the gospel of the kingdom, baptizing new converts, and teaching the apostles' doctrine. Folks, come on. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The apostles' doctrine is the doctrine that Jesus gave his 12 apostles in the gospels. It has nothing to do with the church, the church age, the body of Christ. And I'm telling you, they're not starting churches. In the beginning of the book of Acts, they continue in temple worship just like before. The gospel and the Great Commission to preach the gospel is a very distinctly Jewish gospel and commission. It is, has a very distinct focus on the second coming and establishment of the kingdom. What they asked in, in Matthew 24, 3, what are the signs of thy coming and the end of the world? The coming is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The end of the world is the end of this age and the beginning of the messianic Davidic kingdom we call the millennium. So folks, the, the preaching of the gospel within the context of the Great Commission, is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. It's, it's Matthew 24, 14. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again. I mean, Matthew 24, 14 is, is the parallel passage with 28, 19, and 20. It's the Great Commission before the resurrection. <clears throat> and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, and then the end shall come. It's the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the gospel of the kingdom, and it's going to be preached among all nations, and then the end, soon to lay us, will come. Now that end, I just read you verse 14, let me read you 15 too. Because Jesus continues and he says this. Now listen, this is, I mean... I'm telling you folks, how many how many mission conference messages have you heard based on this verse? We need to go and preach the gospel because if we preach the gospel unto all nations and we reach all the unreached people groups, well, then the end's going to come. Jesus is going to come back and rapture us out. That's nowhere near this chapter. Nowhere near it in the Bible, nowhere near it in history, nowhere near it in doctrine. This is the preaching of the gospel during the tribulation period, seven years or less from the second coming of Jesus Christ. Remember the context, Matthew 24, 3, 
What shall be the sign of thy coming, second coming, and of the end of the world, the end of this age, and the beginning of the messianic age? So again, here, I'm going to read two verses, Matthew 24, 14, and 15, okay? You, you've heard 24, 14 uh, probably a dozen times. Going to do it again. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. The preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the great commission, is done during the same time as the abomination of desolation that was mentioned in Daniel 9.27, the last verse of Daniel's prophecy of the 70th week of 70 weeks so daniel 927 is the verse about the 70th and last week daniel talking about the tribulation the time of jacob's trouble the last seven years in the prophecy the tribulation period that's when the gospel of the kingdom is preached and that's when the abomination of desolation is set up the last and 70th week the last set of 70 years ends with the consummation soon to lay us what's translated as the end in Matthew 24, 14 and Matthew 28, 20. Historically, doctrinally, specifically, the Great Commission is a command to Israel to preach the gospel of the kingdom among all nations because the second coming is at hand. Not the church, not the church age, because it's still a mystery hid from the beginning of the world. It's hid until Paul. Nobody knew a, a single thing about the church, folks. They're not preaching the church. They're not starting local churches. They're worshiping Jehovah God in the temple as Jews preaching a Jewish gospel message about a Jewish kingdom to set up a Jewish king and rule and reign over all the other Jew Gentile nations. So here we go. <clears throat> We're going to take a running start at this. We're going to take what we learned, take what we've been talking about, and do a quick chronological summary of all of these events, but avoiding the anachronisms. Okay? Chronological summary. We know Daniel 9, 24 to 26. Okay? That when Messiah is killed, but not for himself, for us, there is one week of years left. That's Daniel 9.27, Daniel's 70th week. In Daniel's prophecy of the 70th week, 70 weeks, once that 70th week is over, at the end of the 70, 70th week, the end, the consummation, the soon to lay us will come, Christ will establish his reign on earth, okay? He will be anointed. He is the son of David. He gets the, the, the kingdom. He will rule. Second coming of millennium, okay? That's our outline. That's what we get from Daniel 9. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Knowing this and not having revealed the church age that is still hid from the beginning of time, in Matthew 28, Jesus Christ gives to his Jewish apostles the Great Commission. Mark 16, they are to take that gospel, the good news of the coming kingdom, out to the nations. 
and their specific signs and wonders that follow their preaching of that gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24, 14. The gospel they are preaching unto the end is the gospel of the kingdom, not Paul's gospel. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, hey, just go and preach and we'll find out. So they do just that. In Acts chapter 3, 19 to 21, we see Peter calling Israel to repentance because the kingdom is at hand. They are preaching the coming kingdom, not the church, not the body of Christ. They are not establishing churches, Acts chapter 2, verse 46, but rather they're continuing in temple worship according to the custom of Israel. This means that the first chapters of the book of Acts could have been part of Daniel's 70th week, the last seven years of his prophecy that ends in the consummation of the coming of Christ to establish his Davidic and Messianic kingdom on earth. But something happens. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen take the gospel message, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is king. He's the fulfillment. He's the Messiah. Repent and receive him to receive the the kingdom. And they reject the message, kill the messenger, and that's it. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, And when they, the Jewish leaders, heard these things from Stephen, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being filled with the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city. And they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. That's Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had uh, said this, he fell asleep. He died. In Acts chapter 7, and that's the end of the chapter, the next verse is is 8-1, the Jews officially, if I can put that in air quotes, the Jews officially rejected the gospel of the kingdom by rejecting the king of the kingdom, Jesus. The stoning of Stephen marks their rejection as the official rejection in Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 9, God saves Paul. 9, 15, and 16. That's what God says to Ananias. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul gets saved, Acts chapter 9. According to Galatians 1.11 to 17, the Lord gives Paul a new revelation of a new gospel. This new revelation of a new gospel to a new apostle means that there's a change in apostleship. Paul says in Galatians 2, 7-9, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, and the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Two different gospels. 
For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, Peter to the Jews, the same was mighty toward, mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen, the Gentiles, and they to the circumcision, the Jews. And so the Lord gives Paul a new mandate to take his gospel to the Gentiles. Because Israel has been cut off for a time, and the Gentiles have been grafted in. Now with Paul and the beginning of the church age, salvation for the Gentiles is no longer through Israel. The Gentiles in the church age have been grafted in and have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. That is something new that was never revealed before. That is, that is the revelation God gave to Paul. Ephesians 3, 1-9, God leads Paul to write down this new revelation, this revelation of the body of Christ, so that we can understand our gospel and this new church age by reading what Paul wrote. I'm going to read a little bit of this passage to you just to, to, to highlight what this means. Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me, you word, how that by revelation he may note unto me the mystery. So this is the revelation. Paul gets a new gospel. He he gets the revelation of the mystery, which is the body of Christ. Here comes the church age. And Paul says, as I wrote afore in few words. Paul wrote down the revelation of the mystery of the body of Christ. And he says in verse 4, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So God leads Paul to write down the new revelation of the body of Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So we understand our gospel. We understand the church age not by going back to the gospels and the apostles' doctrine. We understand the doctrine for our church age by reading what Paul wrote down. And so, with the salvation of Cornelius, Paul was saved. We got the rejection of the Jews in in Acts chapter 7. Paul is saved in Acts chapter 9. The very next chapter, Peter goes and preaches a gospel message to a house full of Gentiles, Cornelius and his family. Cornelius is 100% Gentile, okay? Acts 10.43. Peter preaching says to him, give all the prophets witness to Jesus, that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake all these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And so here's the salvation of Cornelius, a Gentile, 100% Gentile, just like us. Here is where God confirms that all the Gentiles can be saved directly without having to go through Israel. Because Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and he has to give an account of this event to the leaders. 
They're upset that he went to be with Gentiles because according to the Jewish customs and laws, they weren't supposed to be with Gentiles. And Peter says, hey, let me explain. Acts chapter 11, verse 15 is his explanation. And this is very insightful. Look what it says. Acts eleven fifteen. Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, the Gentiles, as on us, the Jews, at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, for as much then as God gave them, the Gentiles, the like gift as he did unto us, the Jews, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, woe was I that I could withstand God. And when they, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, now listen to this, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. You see, God granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. They get life directly without having to go through Israel. That cutting off and grafting in was something that was happening at that time, and God just confirmed it right there. So this transition, because of Israel's rejection of their Messiah, a transition from Israel to the church, a transition from Jews to Gentiles, a transition from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of the grace of God, it comes to completion in Acts 28, 28. And here it is. With this confirmation, this is confirmation that God has cut off Israel from her promised blessing. And it's just for a time. God is not finished with Israel. It's his, it's his eternal chosen people. But he has cut off Israel from her blessing for a time, and he has grafted in the Gentiles directly into his blessing. Paul says, talking to the uh, Jewish leaders in Rome, Be it known therefore unto you, Jews, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Salvation is sent directly to the Gentiles. They no longer have to go through Israel to get to God. In Acts chapter 28, 28, this is the confirmation that God has cut off Israel from her blessing just for a time, but, she, but has grafted in the Gentiles directly right into his, his blessing. And that's what Paul writes about in Romans 11, the cutting off and the grafting in. Romans 11, 11, Bible says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Speaking of the Israelites, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So God gave the Gentiles salvation directly, the direct salvation he had for Israel. He gave it to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. It says the same thing in verse 15, Romans eleven fifteen. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? And so Paul explains this with his metaphor of the tree, verse 17. And he says, and if some of the branches be broken off, that's Israel, and thou, Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. You see, we got in. We didn't have to become Israelites or go through Israel to get it. We got grafted in. He says, boast not against the, the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. 
Thou wilt say, then, the branches were cut off that I might be grafted in. Yes, he says, well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear, for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare thee not. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. And they also, Jews, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And so Paul confirms that cutting off and grafting in. Israel, God says, I'm done with Israel for a time. It's for the time of the church age. Our church age is a a parenthetical uh, time period between week 69 of Daniel and week 70 of Daniel. So God pushed off the tribulation until after the church age. He cut off Israel from her, her promised blessings, and he grafted in the Gentiles. He took the salvation he was going to give to Israel, that blessing directly to Israel. He took it and he gave it directly to, to the Gentiles. But this situation the church age, where Gentiles are on top, and and Israel is under uh, God's disciplining chastisement. It's not permanent. It's only for a time. The next verse in the passage, Romans 11.25 says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so, the situation with the church age is not permanent. It's for a time until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And whatever that means, we're not going to talk about it right now. We don't need to get into it. It just simply indicates that there's going to come a time when God says, okay, I'm done with the Gentiles and I'm going to turn my attention back to Israel. That's when the rapture of the church happens. He takes us out and he turns his attention back to Israel. Daniel's 70th week starts, the tribulation period, and we move on toward the consummation, the end of the world. Okay? So that's why we see a verse like this in 2 Corinthians 5.16. 2 Corinthians 5.16. Paul says, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. You see, we Christians, like Paul, who follow Christ in the church age, we do not teach new disciples what Christ taught his 12 disciples while he was back on while he was on earth in the flesh. You, you see, when, when Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission, he says, you go teach them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He refers them back to the teaching in the Gospels. He says, whatever I taught you, that's what I want you to teach your disciples. It's different today. Paul says, we do not know Christ after the flesh. Okay, we follow Christ and we teach others to follow Christ as Christ teaches us, not through the Gospels, but through Paul. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, that's why Paul says, Be ye followers of me, as I also am of Christ. Okay, I don't know if I got that right, I'm still flipping back to the passage. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Say, we follow Christ that way, by following Paul. Okay, one more verse in that context, Philippians 4 9. Philippians 4 9. 
Paul says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And so Paul teaches us Gentile Christians in the church age how to be saved, because he got the new gospel, that's uh, Galatians 1, 11 and 12, and he teaches, teaches us how to follow Christ during our, our time, okay, our age, our dispensation. We do not look back to the Gospels for our ministry model and our teaching, our discipleship pattern. That's Old Testament. Okay, that's, that's Jews under the law. We look to our Apostle Paul because he got the revelation for our church age. Our dispensation came to him first. We look at Paul, learn from him how God expects us to follow Christ today. By reading what Paul wrote, we understand what God wants us to know. And like I said, our dispensation, the church age, it ends with the rapture of the church. Okay, after our rapture, after God takes us out, this parenthetical time period is gone. Okay, and the gospel of the kingdom will again be preached on earth among all nations in fulfillment of Matthew 24, 3, Matthew 24, 14, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and all the other great commission passages. It's during the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, and then the end of this world as we know it will come. Jesus will return and establish his kingdom, his reign on this earth, just like he reigns in heaven. And so here's, here's, here's the wrap-up. Is the Great Commission for us today in the church age? Yeah, sure it is, but no, it's not. Not in any way, but yes, it is. But no, it's not. Yes, well... You see the confusion that gets caused when we don't rightly divide the word of truth? Look, it's really simple. Historically and doctrinally, no. The Great Commission is not for us Christians living in the church age. If we read the Great Commission, just as Christ gave it in the Gospels and in Acts chapter 1-8, the commission deals specifically with the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom during Daniel's 70th week, during the tribulation. The end of the preaching of the Great Commission is the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom, the millennium. It's the consummation, Daniel chapter 9. It's the end of the world, Matthew 24 and 28, as we, the end of the world as we know it, because it's going to begin a new world, a new kingdom that's going to last forever. So historically and doctrinally, no, the Great Commission is not for us today living in the church age. We have to put it in context or we're going to be applying bad doctrine today. But how? That, look, that, that doesn't mean we cannot apply personally and spiritually the Great Commission, but it applies to us today in context and in principle only. In principle. Because look, passages like 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 tell us that God wants all men everywhere to be saved, right? God wants all men everywhere to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, that's what we see in the principle of the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Go into all the world. Uh, go to the uttermost part of the earth. God wants all men everywhere to be saved. So that's what we do. We apply the Great Commission in principle. We, we're still supposed to evangelize the lost by preaching to them, teaching them the gospel message. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. That's the ambassador passage, right? 
that we have that have been reconciled, we have received the ministry of reconciliation, that we take the word of reconciliation out to those that need it to plead with them, be reconciled to God in Christ. So we go and preach. We go and make disciples. It's, it's the principle of the Great Commission. It still exists today. And, and we're still supposed to edify other believers, other disciples, by teaching them Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, all Scripture is given. All of it. For doctrine, for teaching, for, 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 for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, freely furnished unto all good works. So we, we still do that. It's what the Great Commission teaches in principle. And we're even supposed to baptize. I would challenge you, go back and look at 1 Corinthians 1, 14 to 17. Paul says, hey, I wasn't sent to baptize, I was sent to preach the gospel. But yet he baptized. Paul was baptized, and he baptized, and Cornelius was baptized. We baptize people, our new converts, to provide them with the public means of identifying with Christ. So we see it all. All the principles of the Great Commission are applied to us today through the writings of Paul. So Paul never gave us a new Great Commission because we didn't need one. The principles of the original Great Commission apply to us today. But what is expected of us is to use the brain God gave us to just read the Bible and ask ourselves, what does it say? And it says... Paul's gospel was not revealed un- until Acts chapter 9. It says the church, the church age, the body of Christ was not revealed into, uh, until Acts chapter 9. So nobody knew about it until then. Don't read it back in to the Great Commission. That's an anachronistic error. It's wrong. So use your brain. Put the Great Commission into context. It's not that difficult. We just did it in a couple of hours. It's not that difficult. And then take the principles of the Great Commission that we see in Paul, because Paul has primacy for us, because he's our apostle. And take those principles and live out the Great Commission. If we would simply do that, just interpret the Scripture normally, literally, in its proper historical, doctrinal, accumulative context, we would avoid all, or at least almost all, of these anachronistic errors that exist today around the Great Commission. We'd avoid preaching a wrong gospel. Look, the twelve apostles, they preached the gospel of the kingdom. That is a social, do-good, spread-a-political-kingdom gospel today. That's the gospel of the Roman Catholic Church. Paul and his followers, we preached the gospel of the grace of God. So we can avoid preaching the wrong gospel if we just pay attention to context. We'd avoid the false teaching that signs and wonders accompany the conversion of the lost. You see, the 12 apostles got the, the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15 to 18. The gospel of the kingdom is accompanied by confirmation signs. Not the gospel of the grace of God preached by Paul and his followers during the church age. So we can avoid the false teaching of the false gospel of the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. And we can avoid teaching bad doctrine like conditional forgiveness that we see the the Apostles' doctrine. The Apostles' doctrine is the doctrine the Apostles learned from from Jesus during the time of the four Gospels. And Matthew chapter 6 says that God forgives them if they forgive others, and if they don't, He won't. Well, that's different than what Paul taught us. In the gospel of the grace of God, once we repent, believe on Jesus Christ, we get the unconditional and complete forgiveness of sins at that very moment of our salvation. And we would avoid the error of following a ministry model that was never intended for us. Look, the 12 apostles, 
they did not give us a proper pattern of ministry to follow. Because in the Gospels, we see Jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews, and he trained up the twelve to do the same. But through the Apostle Paul, God gives us our pattern of ministry and discipleship. Because Paul took the gospel of the grace of God out to the Gentiles, and we follow Paul as he followed Christ. Paul is our pattern, not the twelve. And so, here's my one last word about the Great Commission. As we wrap up our discipleship series and all of this stuff about the Great Commission and anachronisms and context, let's just do this. Fulfill the Great Commission. Fulfill the Great Commission, but fulfill it in principle. God did not give us a new Great Commission through Paul because he didn't need to. The Great Commission in its proper context is enough because the, the Great Commission is basically the the primary stewardship of those participating in the blessings of the new, new covenant. Because we have received the salvation of the new covenant, we have also received a commission within that context. And so we fulfill the Great Commission, but we do it through Paul. As God changed that commission, he altered it. So should we, ha- should we fulfill the Great Commission? Is it a Great Commission for us today? Yes, it sure is. But in context, because God changed the content for us today. You see, at the same time we say, yes, the Great Commission is for us, we need to understand it in its proper context. Because God changed it. He altered the commission because the Jews rejected the original message, so he gave us a new message through Paul, the gospel of the grace of God, not the gospel of the kingdom. And we need to understand the Great Commission in its proper context. We need to follow the proper pattern of ministry if we hope to be a a, a people, a church, that fills, fulfills the Great Commission given to us. And what that means is we follow, we follow policy, follow Christ. And what that means is we need to be intentional about evangelism. We need to be intentional and systematic about edifying believers. We need local churches and pastors that are committed to laboring in the Word and doctrine. You know, that's why we pay our pastors so they don't have to work a, a secular job so they can dedicate themselves to the doctrine that we need to hear. We don't need CEOs. We don't need ministries modeled after Target. We don't need ministries modeled after some weird seeker-sensitive business model. We need pastors who are separated unto God and the Scripture to set themselves apart and study and labor in their studies so that they learn Bible proper doctrine and can teach us the Bible systematically, preach to us expositorily, so that this kind of contextual Bible study is second nature to us. And folks, we need to be about evangelizing. Intentionally evangelizing the lost, systematically edifying the believers in the context of a local church. Not in temple worship like the the disciples in the Great Commission. No, in the local church. This is how we fulfill the Great Commission today. This is how we fulfill our purpose today, how we glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is how we be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In context, proper context, and always faithful to Scripture, letting God speak to us authoritatively in the Bible. What does the Bible say? I'll see you on the next episode. 
Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.